Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audible.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. This is the Book Guys show on a breakneck pace of two shows in two weeks. Welcome back, everybody. This is Sir Jimmy Goots here live in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we have uh, somebody back from the past, in the future, or the present, Mr. Alan Middleton rejoining the cast. How are you tonight, sir? Doing great, Jim. Now that the uh, semester has started, I'm fully back in Professor Allen mode for all the good and ill that that implies. <laughs> yes. Uh, evil professor, right? That's why I grew the goatee. <laughs> uh, in the great white north, as always, future councilman, Paul Alves, also known as Paul the Book Guy. How are you tonight, sir? I'm, I'm very well, sir. I'm going to ask everyone to turn their video off. Just because uh, we're getting a little stutter here. But uh, other than that, we're fine. We're good. I'm sorry that my video is causing you to stutter, sir. That, that wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be what I was hoping to happen. And, hey, we're also, we got a special guest tonight. Mr. John K. Kirk from popmythology.com. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's uh, really great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I love your little uh, Skype icon with the... Uh, the two little lovely young ladies there. <laughs> yeah, those are my girls. So um, we're back. It's another week. Normally, we go through all sorts of stuff and don't know. Uh, we get off track. But the first thing that I want to do is I want to find out what everybody's reading. What's on your... What's on your Kindle? What's on your iPad? What's on your... On your Android device? What's on your bookstand? What are you reading? Starting with our guest, Mr. Kirk. Well, what's uh, keeping you busy? Uh, well, uh, I have to say, like I said, I've just started the school year again, so I'm a wee bit behind on my, uh, my book reading. But uh, just recently, I, I picked up J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fall of Arthur. Oh, he's and, back to uh, writing again. Uh, yeah, yeah, from the grave, from the grave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically, that's... Uh, a collection of uh, works uh, edited by his son Christopher, and uh, it was an unfinished poem uh, on the Arthurian myths. And uh, it's uh, it was a gift from a student, so it's uh, a really special book uh, from that point of view. But also, they know that I'm a Tolkien fan, and uh, um, that's uh, that's basically what I'm I'm penning through or writing through right now. So, now what's that like trying to uh, trying to read? Is that is it is it punishing? Does it read like a um, most of the other Tolkien stuff. Oh, it's uh, it's the Silmarillion on crack. It's pretty thick to get through. <laughs> it's well, made hey, better well. by it's made better at this time because at least you can recognize the names and you have a general idea of the characters. So uh, it's it's pretty heady and it's pretty thick, but at the same time, uh, you, you at least have some sort of a frame of reference, and it also gives you an idea of what uh, Tolkien's sort of poetic mode was like. Well, that's very interesting. A uh, a new classic. Yeah. So, Professor Allen, welcome back. Uh, what are you reading besides syllabi? Well, I'm, al <laughs> I'm almost finished up with a Star Wars novel by John Jackson Miller 
called Kenobi, which is uh, chronicling Obi-Wan's life as Ben Kenobi in pre-New Hope Tatooine. So this is just after the last (sighs) prequel movie and before the real movies. This is back when Tatooine actually had quite a bit of rain. (laughs) So he's there. He's looking after baby Luke from a distance, trying to keep a low profile. But you know, when you've got the force and you got the lightsaber and you just can't help helping people, uh, you get noticed. So were, were they, that uh, has sand caused people? sand yeah, people. So, they... so we we got sand people. We got were traders, they in greater numbers? We got Mos Eisley. We've got Jabba the Hutt references. We've got references to the coming empire. So it's sort of like you're on the edge of the rest of the story. So a lot of familiar things and some new things. Yeah, enough familiar references to keep it interesting, and it's a, it's a pretty solid solid story. So, and uh, next up after that for me is Severed Souls, the latest novel in Terry Goodkind's Richard and Kalen series. And that's one of my absolute top favorite high fantasy epic series. So I'm very much looking forward to that one too. So are these on your nightstand or your Android device or are you? These are on my, these are on my iPod audios. Fantastic. So you're getting those from Audible, no doubt. Slash book guys. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> the Star Wars one is actually pretty highly produced for an audio book. It's got plenty of Foley and sound effects. And, of course, a few hints of the Star Wars theme every now and then in the background music. So that's, that's a very like, well like put together audio yeah. production. I like when they spice it up a bit. Yeah, You, you can go overboard. Yeah, <laughs> but I like I like just enough there to to keep it interesting. It's not quite Ender's Game alive, but it's exact. It's a few steps in that direction. Cool, nice, Mister Alves. Please tell us. Oh, you know what? Please I, tell I, us what's holding your attention? I still haven't gotten through. Uh, I haven't had time to do Audible, so I haven't had time to get through the Dog Boy Adventures by Bill Meeks. Uh, but I already have another uh, Audible on deck, and it is. Drawing Dead, A Tale of Poker and Vampires by Scott McKenzie, uh, narrated by Alex Hyde-White. And I Scott think we're gonna, McKenzie? Yeah, in the morning, friend Scott. friend of the podcast. Yeah. yeah and I, I, think, I knew, I knew I'd, I'd heard of that one somewhere. Yeah. So I think we're going to have Scott back sometime. We'll probably have to do a weekend recording because he's, of course, across mm-hmm. the pond. Uh, and he's going through the whole Audible uh, program where they, they connect authors with uh, audio narrators. And he found a great one, Alex Hyde-White. And maybe we'll talk to him about that whole process of uh, finding a narrator to, to do your book and getting it on Audible. Oh, that'd be interesting to hear. He also wrote uh, One Day in Gitmo Nation, right? That was what that's, brought him to our right. attention. That's the one, yes. And uh, I just finished literally uh, about a minute before we uh, started. Uh, Tom Baker at 80. It's a two-hour sort of biographical uh, interview he did with Nicholas Briggs. From oh, Big Finish and BBC, Doctor Who. Uh, interesting. You have to really be a fan of Tom Baker because it doesn't get heavy into the Doctor Who aspect of his uh, career. But he, he has some interesting stories. You know, he spent some time with uh, Laurence Olivier and uh, throughout his whole Shakespearean uh, phase. And uh, just uh, 
how he's mellowed out over age. You know, he's you not know that- I hate to encourage your Doctor Who-ness, but <laughs> Tom Baker being the, uh, the first and only real Doctor that I have exposure to, yeah. Um, what else has he done besides that? Has he been been in like 175 movies that I would not he, know? You know, uh, I know he he's been in. Uh, oh Christ, I can't remember the title of the one movie uh, that he was big in. Uh, the, the only other thing I've seen him in, uh, other than like little cameos here and there, uh, he did the audio for uh, Little Britain. It was yes, a British yeah. show. I, I, I swear, I watched that whole series and I thought. Man, that guy does a great Tom Baker impersonation. <laughs> Turns out it's because he was Tom Baker, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, it goes he, through his life, he, and uh, Nick Briggs asks him some great questions, and uh, yeah, he's mellowed out of rage, you know. He, he was also in a Sinbad movie too. Uh, Sinbad, not Eye of the Tiger. I think uh, the one before that, the one with John Wayne's son. Oh, nice. Back in the nineteen seventies. Okay. And I was thinking Sinbad the comic. Yeah, <laughs> and I think also and he, he showed up in an episode. He also showed up in an episode of Black Adder. Well, it's funny because he gets oh, into okay. now. Now that he's eighty, right? Uh, and and you know he says basically says you know I could go at any moment. He goes, I've mellowed out. I've chilled out. I'm enjoying life more. I'm laughing more. I'm being nicer to people. I'm not as much of a prick. And and he kind of compares it to, like when you go on vacation. So if someone comes on vacation to Toronto, they'll probably do a million things in that week and, and just laugh and enjoy their time here, right? I live here. I was like, nah, there's nothing to do. Life's miserable, you know? So he puts it that way where he goes, he knows tomorrow could be his last day. So he's just, you know what, why spend it, you know, yelling at the, the kid that's bagging your groceries, right? You know? So he just smiles and he's having a good time. And, uh, and interesting read. And, well, interesting listen. Seven bucks download, a $16 CD if you're of the CD persuasion still. Uh, bigfinish.com subscribers get more well let's see here uh, Jimmy has got five or six books that are next in line but um, right now I am five and a half discs through the six discs that comprise 12 years a slave and I I've spent my my last two lunch hours just sitting under the shade of a tree eating Taco Bell in my truck listening to it because it's on a CD and uh I if you take if you take the CD out of a car and then you move it into another car there's all this fast forward and and it's awkward to try to get right, right. to the point to where you were and writing it down so uh but I'm just every day going back and forth from work every chance I get I'm listening to this it's uh it's narrated really well um, it's, it's captivating. There's, there's no, never a dull moment. If just from where it comes down to describing the life of a slave to, you know, what they eat and how much they get and how long it has to last. And the fact that they, you know, how they have to cook their, their bacon and the different things that you can make out a little bit of corn that's given to you. Just everything about it is, uh, is really just, uh, it's, it's, Captivating. I, I'm looking on Audible. Now, which narration are you listening to? Because there's like a bajillion narrators. Absolutely. There's like seven I or eight here. I do not know the name. I will put it in the show notes. All right. We'll do it in the show notes then. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's done really well. And the nice part about the it's six CDs and, you know, it's, it's short. I, I don't know the, how long the movie is, but I imagine... Uh, 
it's got to be a two hour plus epic. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to go watch the movie after listening to the book. And up next, I'm thinking that I'm going to go Letters of a Woman Homesteader by Eleanor Stewart, or perhaps James R. Hannibal's Shadow Maker, which has a cool uh, picture of an explosion, an American flag, and a drone on it. I so, know which uh, one you're going to pick. They're very different. The one with the drone is 10 hours, and the one with the woman homesteader is four hours. So, uh, you know, my fear of commitment might lead me towards the thinner stack of CDs. You don't want to get those two books confused. <laughs> no. That's not a mashup, I want to say. <laughs> I need to keep those in you know, separate cars. <laughs> so, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's talk to our, our guest here. John Kirk from popmythology.com. Tell us, tell us something about you, what pop mythology is, and you know, what makes you want to come and talk to the book nerds. <laughs> well, That's yeah, not but... our name, Jimmy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we're, all, uh, we're all geeks. We're all nerds, right? And that's the great thing about pop mythology is it's, uh, it's a website that, that looks at the influence of uh, geek culture and, and how it can be used to improve people's lives and uh, it's got a real sort of a you know uh, theoretical aspect to it but the great thing about pop culture the great thing about being a geek is that there's so much out there and from my my point of view as a teacher um, I can help sort of the younger generation sort of make sense of it and uh, that that's kind of what it's about it's about applied geek culture if you, if you like nice I've been checking out the site it's pretty uh, there's a lot of stuff there yeah, our uh, our editor is uh, based in Korea. That's uh, Daniel Kim, North and, Korea. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's definitely I think more north than us, but no, I I think that's <laughs> South Korea. <laughs> but uh, no, he's uh, he's a great guy, and uh, he's got a real uh, message behind the site, and uh, it's uh, it's a pretty well put together uh, sort of concept. Yeah, I'm looking at it. it's a very well put together site. Uh, PopMythology.com. Check it out, folks. Yeah. Yeah, we look at everything from uh, from movies, books, uh, you know, comics, um, you know, pretty much whatever's uh, current in the uh, in the nerd culture, uh, you know, sphere. And uh, do you have well, the uh, the leaked Jennifer Lawrence photos? I, I think you said those were all up there and available. I think I'm afraid to look at those because I might get arrested. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go looking for them. <laughs> but um, no, I. We just came off uh, Fan Expo uh, 2014, so we uh, we did a couple of days of coverage there. Um, except for me, I'm a bit of a punishment glutton, so I wound up doing the full four days. Where was that at? That's it. That's here in Toronto. You know, John, John this is Paul speaking. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you about that because uh, yeah. I, I made it last year, and it was uh, for a claustrophobic uh, person. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm not coming back unless I get a press pass. So I can yes. get in and out quick. Uh, and I forgot to get my passes this year. So I, uh, without a press pass, I said, I'm not going. It's probably going to be worse. Now, now tell me, how, what was that situation like as far as the, the, the being cramped? And... It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely cramped. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is about uh, trying to find a new venue for it. I mean, the, it, it's a, like on one side, it's a real experience because they've got the contacts, they've got the connections. And it's the only game in town. So I mean, if you want to go meet, uh, you know, William Shatner and all those guys, you're, you're going to you're going to Fan Expo. 
Right. And and they do a great job from that point of view. Like, I mean, it's just massive. But I think it's gotten to the point now where it's just outgrown, uh, like the MTCC. It's it's yeah. uh, huge. But for the life of me, I, I can't think of a new venue where they could put it. Well, I, I was thinking, John, that they could move it to the Canadian National Exhibition. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I, I it's such a big that, grounds, that you know? Yeah, but the thing that uh, I think that they would also need to think about is all the uh, the panels um, and, and uh, all that. Maybe the Direct Energy Center would be a good place for that. Yeah, um, yeah and they have a few more other buildings, too, right? Yeah, but uh, that would be, I think that that's great. And and they've got the numbers, they've got the, uh, you know, they've got the contacts, they've got the uh, the celebrities and uh, everything. Um, I, I think it's just gotten so big now where they need to rethink where they're going to put it. Yeah. But it's, I, it's a great show. Like, you're right. Like, there's a tremendous amount of people there, but it's uh, uh, it's definitely an experience. And, you you know, if you're, you're coming up to Toronto and you're a geek, that's where you're going to hang out. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I know I know Paul you had a great time. Was it just last year that you've been? Uh yeah, last year was fun. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, what? Toronto really needs to get behind its geeks. Absolutely. Like, you you go to San Diego and San Diego comes out in droves and they get behind that that thing and that is uh that's really a credit to that city. I I give them full props for that. Um Toronto needs to sort of uh you know, recognize its um, its geeks as a, a, a veritable part of its art culture scene and, uh, you know, really uh, give it the support it needs. Agreed. Yeah. Well, occasionally we have uh, books in the news. Oh. Book news. Perhaps this is one of those weeks. Anybody have any book news that they can bring to the forefront? Uh, I've got one. There's a, a library in Florida, the Polytechnic University of Florida, uh, just launched their new library, and it's beautiful, stunning, great uh, ceilings and, and just beautiful floors and lots of stuff and no books. Not uh-huh. one book. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the library houses 135,000 e-books. So, uh, well, now, why would you build a building uh, of this size? It's a, it's a giant building. Uh, why would you build it? I mean, I can probably put 135,000 ebooks on a USB stick, right? Share it around. Pass it around. Do they have a card catalog in there? Yeah. Well, well they've got computers, and the 11,000-square-foot uh, library is basically made for people to uh, socialize, get together, uh, sort of the same thing you'd do in a library, except that there are no shelves, uh, you know, no books, and no bookworms. New Age Library. That sounds yeah. interesting. Well, you know, you know I, did, what? This I is... did read in the uh, Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago that one of the jobs that they fear in ten or fifteen years they're going to be short of is librarians, <laughs> because they're still going to need. They're still going to have those buildings. Still going to need people to man them. And uh, I can tell you, my daughter works at a public library now. And she is busy nonstop. So, well, you know, their, their roles uh, are definitely as long as the scarcity of workers leads to higher wages for her. I'm all for it. Yeah, and you know, her role I think is going to change over the years. But you're always going to need someone oh, at at the library. Um, but uh, you know, that whole thing of you know helping someone with the Dewey Decimal and find the book for you—that's kind of gone, isn't it? You just go to the library computer and type in the search field, and here's your book. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like a a new set of skills required. You know. 
a librarian librarian may be the person that teaches you how to take a an audiobook that's on a CD at least for, as long as physical media is around and show you how to put it on your iPod. Right. You know, and yeah. you, just well, different as, things as than a, what you expect. As as a teacher librarian, or a former teacher librarian, I got to chime in here and I got to say I think one of the changing roles for a librarian in the 21st century is not going to be the, uh, the mechanic or the person who's going to help you find stuff, but the person who's going to verify information for you and help you with accrediting information sources. And uh, I, I think that's going to be sort of their new role. But, uh, you know, you don't need as many people to do that, unfortunately. So. Yeah, yeah and the, the, um, the uh, master's degree that my daughter's looking at is mm. a combo of library science and, and information management. So yes. that is certainly part of the job, certainly moving forward. Yeah, that's one of the problems that I have with, uh, with my students is uh, teaching them that uh, the web is not what, it's, uh, not what it advertises. And, uh, you know, there's a few great <laughs> fake websites out there that I use uh, in, in lesson planning and, and show them the structure and say, great, now, now do, a, do an essay on this. And, uh, and then the great big reveal after they do this, you know, 500-word essay is that this is a totally bogus website that you just uh, didn't bother to check or validate or <laughs> authenticate. And there's a few groans and there's a few, uh, you know, sideways glances. And uh, I have to be careful that they're not bringing any uh, bladed instruments into the classroom. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson. This is a fantastic <laughs> lesson. Evil professor. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, hey, anybody listen to any new podcasts? Because I've got a couple of them that I'd love to mention. And let's go ahead and start with me. Um, I just found out that one of my favorite podcasts from years gone by has returned. Uh, just out of the blue, I, I overheard somebody talking about a bartender and uh, get somebody getting a bartending job. Well, years ago, I used to listen to a podcast called Behind the Bar Show. And it was done by a guy named Tim Morrison. Um, he's called Mr. Martini on the show. And he was in San Francisco, California, and he was a um, cocktail enthusiast. And he was a, um, a bartender, and he actually had a setup to where he would go to a lot of uh, you know, rich people's parties and be the bartender at their parties. And I had the chance to go to San Francisco for, um, for my work and let him know I was coming and we met up and went down to uh, the waterfront there in San Francisco on the Embarcadero, and he took me to several different bars that uh, he knew everybody that worked there. We drank for free. Uh, it was like the within the first couple months that Absinthe was back on the market in the United States, and this was one of the first places that had it. So uh, he gave me, you know, not really a tour of San Francisco, but uh, a tour of some bars. And his show is back. He's he's moved. Uh, to Florida in the last couple of years. That's how long it's been. So uh, behindthebarshow.com. And the, um, it, it, if you go back to the old episodes, it goes over the history and, uh, you know, about rum, about bourbon, about beer, about mead, just all the different kinds of drinks and teaches you about bar tools and, and how to mix drinks and how to, you know, layer one, this is making me thirsty, Jimmy. Hang on. Hang on. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go grab a beer. <laughs> That's the sales pitch. So uh, behind the bar show. And the other one is from 
some friends of Joe Rogan. Everybody knows Joe Rogan. Um, and Brian Redband is a comedian that he's friends with. And he has this group of podcasts. If, if you look up Death Squad, you, it downloads all these different podcasts, you know, Ice House Chronicles and blah, blah, and a bunch of things that I don't like to listen to. But the one I like is um, there's a guy named Tony Hinchcliffe as a comedian, and he does this show where he sets up in a comedy club and a bunch of uh, wannabe comedians come in and sign up for a chance to get up and do one minute of comedy in front of some other comedians and they give him feedback and stuff. And it's funny to hear some of the people that are just horrible, but you know, there's, there's some really good jokes out there and you discover some new and upcoming comedians and the guys just have so much fun making fun of these people that uh, it's hilarious. And it's called kill Tony. That's that's what uh, I'm doing while I'm walking around working all day with my headphones on. So, anybody else got any time for podcast? Well, I've got a uh, yeah, I've got a podcast. I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to, as the kids say, and that's to podcaster Billy Hogan, who's one of the longtime comic book podcasters. Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> now you know around here on the Book Guys show, we made a big deal about episode 100. But the uh, Billy's Superman Fan Podcast recently released episode 300. So I thought that deserved some, uh, some mention. They, they probably do a podcast every week. <laughs> Just about. He's been doing it for seven years or so. So he's covering Silver Age comic books, those silly stories from the 1950s and 1960s over at the Superman Fan Podcast. I am taking notes. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> is the Quarterbin podcast still rolling? The Quarterbin podcast is rolling along. We, we recently released episode thirty-two. Oh, you're Ooh, catching up to us. Covering uh, <laughs> covering a uh, an issue of uh, from the 1990s of Batman. We've uh, uh, thoroughly enjoying that. Thank you, Jimmy. Sure. Are you doing anything big for episode thirty-three? Uh, you know, I should. It's a magic number. It is, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're almost at the break here, Jim. Hey, hey, Paul, are you listening to any podcasts? If not, just say no. We'll move on. You know me. I, I'm a faithful No Agenda listener, so I've been listening to that. and I've I'm, I'm always got my news podcasts. I, I prefer to listen to the CBC or BBC World News. That's about it. I don't have anything really new on the horizon. Uh, I've just written down, written down uh, half the stuff you guys just talked about, so I will probably will have uh, more stuff in my uh, podcast catcher. John, speak up. Oh, I'm listening intently, and I'm taking notes here. This is uh, this is verbal gold that uh, that is emanating from the speakers of my my laptop, and uh, I'm just this is this is cool. <laughs> All right, you said gold. That's the magic word that takes us to our first break. <laughs> Indeed it does. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. And we're back. It makes no sense to have all of this comic book mind power conglomerated on one show and not take advantage of it. So 
Let's do just that. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Alan, John, Paul, take it away. <laughs> we need a Ringo. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. When it well, comes uh, to comic books, I, I, I take a back seat. <laughs> I, I, I came about in the, uh, the bronze age of comic books and, and learned uh, that nice. collecting them was nothing but a burden. So my heart <laughs> is Reading broke. them is fun. And, and, and I don't that's, worry about that's... collecting. I don't worry about investing. Yeah. See, I already said the wrong things. No, but, that, that, but you know what? That's a really good point about comics is because, uh, you know, back in the days when you did collect comics, that was for people, you know, in, a, in our 40s um, because comics were definitely unique and they, they had uh, interesting dynamics and new stories and new perspectives and they were they were began begun to see uh, be seen as uh, as high literature at this point at that point um but but today comics are more fun and and that's where they should be they should fall into that arena they still have really good lessons about character uh, story arcs and character dynamics and relationships and things like that but um you know it, let's not forget the fun and uh, and that's a really good point that you just brought up they they should be fun and they shouldn't be $11 a piece. No, well, yeah. <laughs> so where are you finding some of that, uh, some of that fun, Captain? You know what? Um, I just either, finished, uh, uh, either in current books or in old books that you're reading currently. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's the thing. I, I mean, I, I, I love to look at the new comics, but I have a real uh, big nostalgic vein in me. And, uh, you know, anything by, by Claremont, uh, I'll pick up and, and, uh, and read through again. I mean, I just went uh, through uh, um, X-Men Days of Future Past again, X-Men 141 and 142. And we talked about that. But, I mean, you, you can't ignore the new creators. And, I mean, there's some fantastic stuff coming out of Image Comics these days um, because of this whole creator-owned uh, uh, relationship. Oh, absolutely. That's coming out. That is really a game changer. Yeah, it's fantastic because there's so many great things. I mean, you look at um, the Mercenary Sea, for example, which is a, a really cool sort of a Indiana Jones um, slash uh, you know adventure story. It, it's a real swashbuckling story set in 1938 in the South Pacific, um, and you have uh, this this American who has a World War One German U-boat uh, and a crew of uh, international expatriates. And they're searching after this this lost uh, treasure in this uh, this you know legendary island called Koji Ra, and they wind up getting involved with the the Chinese Communist uh, um, Revolution. Um, they get chased around the Pacific by by the Japanese Navy. It, it's a real fun romp, and this is a this is one of those fun comics that you just can't ignore reading. It's it's really good. If you haven't picked it up, they've just released the uh, the trade uh, journal uh, version. It's uh, issues uh, one to six, I think, and that's by it, Kel Simons and Matthew Reynolds. What's the name again? Uh, the Mercenary Sea. Sounds awesome. Oh, it's great, you know. But I mean, you look at uh, Image Comics uh, again. You look at the Rat Queens. Uh, I don't know if you've read that. That's by Curtis Weed mm -hmm. and, uh, and and Rock Up Church, and that's a really fantastic. Um, story about strong female Dungeons and Dragons adventurers, you know, and uh, <laughs> they're just hilarious. And it's it's basically like like playing a, an old game of D and D back in the 1980s um, with with characters that have style and panache and humor, and and they're females. 
and and I think that's that's really liberating as well to get that that female side into comic books. These are characters that they can have fun and identify with. It's just story. So Image is uh, is definitely one of the comic companies that you want to pay attention to uh, when looking for those fun comics. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to friend of the show, former guest on the Book Guys, and Canadian gentleman Jim Zub. Oh, okay. Who has written? A, uh, he's just come up with a Wayward. The first issue of Wayward is out. That's from Image. Nice. And he was working on uh, a Disney-related book called Figment a few months ago as well. So I always like to give uh, give Jim Zub his his due. Now, one of the books that I've really enjoyed over the last year is uh, was a surprising one. As uh, late last year, Archie Comics, oh yeah, for the first time ever, released a book rated teen and up. Not available on newsstands, and everyone's familiar with life with Archie. But I've read the first five issues in a trade of Afterlife with Archie. That's right. The zombies have come to Riverdale. Yeah, great stuff. And they're they're really trying to redefine Archie for the 21st century. And you know what? Over the last five years, they've done a whole range of things to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely cool I have stuff. to say, yeah, this uh, afterlife with Archie—it's—it's it's, you know—it—it it, it is a legitimately intense zombie book. Hmm. Um, you know, it's as in, intense as, as The Walking Dead, and in a couple ways, it's even more so. One, it's in color, as opposed to black and white of Walking Dead, and its characters you know. It's Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica and Mr. Weatherby and Reggie and Moose. It's everyone you know from the Archie gang. Is in there, and uh, uh, it doesn't turn out well for everybody. <laughs> oh, no. let's, just, let's just put it that way. Do, do you see him coming back, Professor Allen? Uh, well, I, the, uh, uh, the ones who didn't make it are definitely coming back, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> and a, a, Actually, what I liked about this, that a lot of zombie stories of any type, movie, novels, comics, don't do is it gives an origin story. So it's, it's, it's not a spoiler. The first four pages tell you how this started. And it, it makes sense in that comic book world. You know, Jughead's faithful dog, Hot Dog, has been hit by a car. He takes the dog to Sabrina, the teenage witch. She promises to try to heal the dog, but by that point, the dog's actually dead. But she has made a promise to try to make him better. Brings him back to life as a zombie dog. It actually sort of makes sense. And again, I give them credit just for giving a zombie origin story, which almost every other story just throws us into the middle of zombies and never tells us how it started. (laughs) Yeah, because watching people get sick in hospital is boring. Boring. (laughs) So usually they jump into like the zombies right away. Uh, first of all, I got to ask you because uh, uh, another character is set to die as well, uh, and I'm not sure what your take on this is. Uh, X Men's Wolverine, um, and according to USA Today interview with uh, writer Charles Soule, he says, uh, you know, we always joke around, you know, yeah, they die and they come back like a month later or a year later, and and according to him, this time it's really the manner of his death that matters. 
and it's an event that's designed to stick. Now, how, how much do you give that credit that it's well, designed? Well, you know, I, I, I actually give Marvel some credit because in the last few years, I mean, this is going to sound like a joke, but it's actually not, that dead characters have actually stayed dead for a couple of years. Right. And that, that's actually pretty good in the comics world. Well, I'm thinking you know, may, maybe they're, they are going to go with... Or whoever, they've, they have well, stayed dead while, which is okay in my book. Yeah. Now, now, when I see, when I hear that it's an event that's designed to stick, maybe it's a changing of the character. Maybe dead Wolverine will be the character. You know, yeah. maybe there's some zombie to this as well. Hey, hey, now, because what? Because Wolverine wasn't scary enough without being a zombie, right? <laughs> Actually, if you've ever read the Marvel Zombies, uh, Zombie Wolverine was uh, was pretty badass. Yeah, it just one, sounds that way. I yeah, don't one, even have to read it. I can believe that. <laughs> yeah, one arm he had, you know, he used to go snickety snick. He had one arm, so he only wound up doing the snickety. So, but yeah. uh, yeah. it's, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I finished uh, reading the last uh, four or five issues of Nightcrawler, and they brought Nightcrawler back from the dead, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and it's written by by Chris Claremont. And one of the problems I have is that, you know, sometimes writers get really attached to their characters. And uh, one of the things that Chris Claremont is, uh, you know, is, is really adamant about is, you know, his assertion that, that Jean Grey, you know, his Jean Grey in his world, in his universe, is dead. So it kind of makes it hard for him to do any stories about the X-Men with, you know, Jean Grey uh, still with us. <laughs> and, um, you know... With Wolverine dying, I, I just I, I have a hard time seeing how they can reconcile one of the most popular characters, actually probably the most popular character in modern uh, X-Men uh, times, uh, you know, with, with him staying dead. I just can't see that. Um, but give them credit, at least Professor X has stayed dead. So, you know. Good point. Yeah. Now, now uh, Professor Allen, you know... Uh... I, I, I sort of... I, 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 I sort of understand that that issue of each writer sort of having their own their own take over in the DC world. I've long been a fan of the Legion of Superheroes, and one of the complaints about that is often as it's been rebooted and restarted, is that it seems like about every third writer that comes in is Paul Levitz, yeah. and every time he comes back, no matter what the writer before him has done he wants to take it back to his version yeah of all the characters and then he writes it for a year or two then a few more writers come in and make changes and do their thing and then he comes back and always wants to take the characters back to to where he left them so it is this weird this weird world where you have I mean, uh, comic books in general where you have these you know corporate owned ongoing characters but they're written by, you know, in some cases, pretty headstrong, you know, creative people, yeah. and there's there's always going to be that clash. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. It's like a possessive continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, and and there was that. There, I mean, there was that theory, you know, back in the fifties and sixties that comic book readership would turn over every five or six years, and you didn't really have to worry about it that long. Um, you know, that's why Stan Lee aged up Spider-Man those first few years. 
Right, because the, the thinking was for a uh, couple years. Then he graduated, and then he was in college. And yeah, at some point, Stan realized, uh oh, these readers aren't going away. Right, because the, the, the thinking back then, right, was and make some adjustments to that. The thinking back then was that you know you outgrew comics within four or five years, so they would just keep. And yeah, and, yeah. and the next wave came in. You could basically tell those same, same five or six years of stories again. And here we are in our forties and thirties. Yeah, I'm still reading. <laughs> still reading. <laughs> But there's another interesting thing, too, with uh, the younger readers today, and, and this is one of the things that comes up in my classroom, is uh, the kids today want to know about the history, though, because they're really – it's, it's kind of like a, you know, following your, your, your favorite sports celebrity, right? Like they want to know the stats. They want to know, what, you know how many times they met up with another villain and that sort of thing, and if they want to go back and see what that continuity was like. So a lot of the times when, whenever I just give them a comic book just to, to look at the way a character is depicted, uh, they'll go, well, didn't he fight so-and-so, or uh, didn't this happen, or isn't he vulnerable to this? And I have to go back and actually explain stuff that happened from the 1970s and 1980s. Right. Um, and a really good example of that is Days of Future Past, because they, they repeated that storyline or that idea of that different world where the Sentinels took over, and you know, they wanted to know where that, the kids wanted to know where that came from. So that you know that we've they've created uh, an entire universe that that spans back you know like our lifespans right and they want to know about it right so it's interesting how that happens actually I hadn't really thought about it but sports is kind of an interesting analogy uh, in the sense that you know I'm fan I'm a fan of a particular team and that team's history may go back. 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. Mm-hmm. So I feel some continuity to the people that wore the uniform mm-hmm. 30 and 40 and 50 years ago and the, the games that they played. Right. Unless you're a Leafs fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, we gotta give you one of these. There you, go. you deserve that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say um, that's plenty of comic books for Jimmy. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the only thing that would take to knock me out of my chair is uh, a nice dose of Doctor Who. <laughs> All right, let's let's play the in- uh, the intro to the first episode, and uh, I think we have three of three out of four of us will stay awake for the segment. <laughs> what do we do? I don't understand. Who is he? Where's the doctor? Right here. That's him. That's the doctor. Well then, here we go again. Yeah, so, and there's the new theme. I know Professor Allen and I are not uh, we're not big fans of the new theme. <laughs> I like the new I like the new title segment, the, oh, new, the new credits. But and, and you know, themes, Alan, th- those credits I've heard better versions of that theme. Yeah, but those credits were actually uh, it was a fan made a version of those credits, posted it on YouTube. He got a couple million hits, and um, oh, I almost called him Stephen Merchant, Stephen Moffat. Uh, he actually took that and made their own. BBC version, and I, I gotta say, look for the fan-made version, the music and 
the intro are better. And he made it on one computer by himself. But uh, we have a, a, new, a new doctor, as always, every couple years, Mr. Peter Capaldi. What do you think, Professor? I like the doctor. I'm not yet in love with everything about the episodes. I thought the first episode was too long. I think they stretched it to get it long enough to play in theaters, to be honest. Yeah, it was a little I, slow. I think they stretched it to 90 minutes. It was probably 70 good minutes of story, but 70 minutes they couldn't put in theaters. Yeah, I and think that, that that's, was something they really wanted to do. That's something Moffat has said. He wants to slow down the scenes because uh, it's been too many jump cuts. It's kind of, you know, the show had gone to almost where it was like an MTV music video yeah. where it was just cut, 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 cut. Now he wants to have like, you know, two-minute conversations, not 10-second ones. But I think, yeah, it was a bit slow for a first episode. And usually when you introduce a doctor, you're supposed to introduce the TARDIS and just to get new, I was going to say listeners, new viewers on board it's usually more of a discovery thing but all in all it was interesting oh, I'm, I'm 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 definitely excited about the character about the actor that's for sure yeah i, I have to agree I, I was really impressed with capaldi and i and i i think he was a bit of a throwback to uh you know to the john pertwee days right where you know the doctor didn't have to be you know the every teenage girl's um crush uh, he was you know he was a, an irascible grumpy old guy and uh, and he's unable to properly <clears throat> relate to human beings because let's face it, he's an alien, right? You know, with with a thousand years of life experience and uh, basically the responsibility of balancing, you know, the axis of time of the universe. So you know, he he doesn't have time to tell Sarah Slade or some of those other uh, guys, you know, boy, I really like your dress, right? <laughs> I think you're right, John, because you know, I mean, even uh, the first Doctor William Hardnell. Back in those days, he was getting followed by uh, young women and, you know, groups of children. They, they absolutely adored him. He didn't have to look like a, you know, 20-something uh, handsome dude. Yeah. You know, he, he was the grandfather figure, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's a grandfather who can move through time. Now, that's a badass grandfather. That's you right. Know? That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the major things I noticed was that he went from being a, a madman with a box to, to being just a, a conflicted god with a box you know mm. just look at the, the first couple times he uses the machine the tardis he just looks at it he doesn't even look at it, actually he just flicks the switch that's it he's not jumping around touching knobs he just in total control just one flick of the switch and everything's spot on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's it, i i like i said i i really did like peter capaldi i i think this episode um was was slow i definitely agree and I think the focus was misplaced. I mean, there was a, you know, an ungodly amount of undue attention on um, Madame Vestra and uh, and you know her two companions, and it made me think maybe they're they're angling that for a spinoff. Yeah, I've never really liked those characters much. Yeah, so. wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, certainly in the Russell T Davies era, he took yeah. one show, Doctor Who, and got three shows out of it. So, yeah, and, right. I think you know. I think Stephen Moffat, if he could pull off something like that, it would not be a. I yeah, think that's, a, it, that's a pretty good trick for an executive producer. Yeah, but it's a sad thing to say though that uh, the other two shows didn't work, right? Like uh, you know, right. Torchwood. True. Torchwood was great for the first three episodes, I think, and then afterwards it just sort of <laughs> just fell apart, and I don't really understand why. Um, well, I think that. I think you're right. I mean, and we're we're more. Uh, I mean, the show is more popular than ever. And I mean, a couple of years ago, there were three shows. There yeah. was Doctor Who and two spinoffs, 
And now uh, we just have the main show. I mean, we, with the loss of Elizabeth Sladen, of course, you can, can't continue the Sarah Jane adventures. And Torchwood just, you know, tanked in the ratings because they were trying to be, you know, two things at once. And they, they, they weren't good at either. And to, so, I mean, to, to me, the, one of the best things that Torchwood did was the, the five-episode the five arc, Children of Earth, which had Peter Capaldi in a pretty important role. And that, that, that's, that's where I first saw the intensity um, of, of what that actor can bring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I miss Barrowman. Oh, he's around. <laughs> I'd love to see him return to the show or at least return yeah. to a spinoff. That was a great character and just a great actor all, overall. Yeah, it was a really cool character. I like that. Um, and then, then he started to get all um, uh, appetitive. You know, it was like it was more. It was less about the adventure, and it was more about, um, oh, you're attractive. I'll go after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. He, he ended up with one character trait, basically. Yeah, yeah. They they really um, uh, whittled him down to uh, to a one trick pony, and and it's a shame because I, I really wanted to know more about you know his own version of regeneration. I wanted to know more about his experiences and you know the secret of his experience, what have you. So it's like you know. It was um, it was a shame. It was a shame. You're right. It was a good character, and uh, he just sort of lost uh, lost his way. I think. And, and now on the show, we're seeing a big focus on, uh, of course, Clara Oswald. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how long she's going to be in the show. And and why are we focusing so much on a companion? I mean, we never really did. Uh, yeah. This before, because we always knew companions were just along for the ride, and they either, uh, you know, they usually got dropped off at the wrong place. And moved, uh, you know, the doctor moved on to someone else because he doesn't like watching people get old. He doesn't like people dying, um, you know. Although he's surrounded because he's surrounded by death, right? He doesn't want to see the endings. So mm-hmm. he normally, like, he dropped off uh, Sarah Jane when she was a young lad and uh, a young lady, and uh, and off he went, grabbed another young lady, and took off again. But I don't know. Just too much of the story is focusing on the companion, which I don't think is uh, is good for anyone, including the the, the show itself, because. Claire's not going to be here next year, for all we know. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. There's a lot of undue attention on the on the companion, and the companion is supposed to uh, help uh, sort of act as the the intermediary for they they help us understand the doctor. Right. So, you know. Yeah. Jimmy, we can hear you snoring there. You all right? Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I hit the snooze alarm there. Thank God for. Popmythology.com. I spent the last fifteen minutes. I didn't. I didn't realize Guardians of the Galaxy uh, was a comic book. So maybe there's room for me to uh, be folded in. <laughs> no promises, but yes. Uh, I the last. That's. A, I can't remember last time I went to the movies and saw a movie three times, and I went with my son. And then he wanted to go and take um, his, um, a friend of his that's a girl, and then he wanted to go see it again. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Cool. <laughs> and and I, th- I still think the soundtrack is still in, in the top ten of iTunes. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's in my top ten. It's like it's, <laughs> I wanted to get – I got a Walkman that holds a tape, and I showed it to my son, and he's like, that is so cool. Dad, you're Star-Lord. There's a, yeah, there's, there's a whole new generation of kids that, that, that watch this movie with their parents that – are just loving the 70s music. And I love that they incorporated, spoiler alert. And I actually have 
tapes that say mixtape on them. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love that at the end he, he finds the – he finally opens his present – his only other possession that he brought from the Earth. Day, yeah, yeah. And it's and the it's 80s mix, cool. you know. <laughs> so the, I'm looking forward to the next movie, the 80s mix. And, I mean, I don't know what they're doing in the box office, but uh, they're obviously oh, it's, doing it's very well. it's the number well. one movie of the year. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to take a look at Rotten Tomatoes while we're at it. It's made almost $7,000 in Canada alone. <laughs> <laughs> But those are Canadian dollars. Yeah, still, uh, yeah. still so top pretty much of the box office. Uh, and we're many weeks into it now. And with a 92% on IMDb, a, a wonderful movie. Uh, you don't really have to like comic books to enjoy uh, watching Groot and... Uh, <laughs> what's his name? You know, the raccoon? Rocket. <laughs> but, you know, it's a funny story, too, because uh, I, 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 was, I had seen it for the second time. And uh, I was explaining to, to my eight-year-old uh, I said, you know, this isn't the first Guardians of the Galaxy. The first Guardians of the Galaxy was a, was a totally different cast of characters created in the late 1960s uh, by, you know, Steve Gerber and, and Al Milgram and all those guys. And, uh, you know, then Gene Colan picked it up and stuff. And so I had to describe the differences. And then all of a sudden this, uh, this uh, 18-year-old kid to the right of me says, Sir, uh, could you tell me more about these characters and where I can find them? <laughs> So I wound up going into this mini 15-minute history lesson uh, on the origins of the Guardians of the Galaxy with this kid who wanted to know about that historical continuity. Oh, look, full circle. I just brought that back. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> um, Sir Jimmy just typed in the Skype box. Um, could you give us that 15-minute version right now? That would be awesome. He's really, he's really dying to know that. Uh, yeah, but you know, Unfortunately. Oh, there's the clock on the wall tells me. We are, I believe, at that point of the show where it's time to play that final jingle. I, I, I want to thank our, our, our new friend, John Kate Kirk from PopMythology.com and Canada for joining us here this evening. Thanks, John. Professor Allen, great to have you back. Sorry that school is on. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.